0: Welcome to Boomeranging, From Expat to Repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Today, my guest is Bryce Corbett, a journalist, communications specialist, and published author. Bryce started his career in Sydney as a cadet for the Daily Telegraph before heeding the call to work in London, as so many Aussies often do. After stints at The Times and The Mail on Sunday, his visa was up, but he wasn't ready to come home. So on a whim, he applied for a job he never thought he would get, and ended up in Paris and a city where he would spend the next 10 years. Over that decade, on top of working for the International Chamber of Commerce, he wrote books, met his wife, and had two kids. Bryce was lucky enough to return home to a job, but it was to a career in life that looked very different. Today, I'm interested in hearing how Bryce has pivoted his life from the streets of Paris to the streets of Brisbane, where he is now based. Welcome, Bryce. Where are we chatting with you today?
1: Oh, uh, you're chatting with me um, from sunny Brisbane. Sunny Brisbane. Beautiful spring day. Yeah.
0: So, Bryce, you grew up in Sydney, uh, studied journalism. Was an overseas assignment something that was always on the radar for you or were there early influences that shaped an overseas path?
1: Oh, I suppose my grandmother was a was a huge traveller. My grandparents used to travel a lot and, you know, and as, a, as a kid I used to watch them um, come home from Women's Weekly world tours and world cruises and <laughs> um, very definitely Passed the travel bug down to my mother. And she, my mother, was somebody who you know she grew up in the '60s, and um, and I always remember growing up and listening to her tales of leaving, as many people did in those days, on that you know eight week boat trip over to spend the time living in Earl's Court or Kangaroo Court, I think, <laughs> I think it was then known. Yeah in the early 60s and then great stories of her backpacking around Europe, you know, uh, uh, in the 60s and being, yeah. you know, with her girlfriend and, and hitchhiking their way around Europe, frankly, which, you know, so I think the travel bug is hereditary. Yeah. And as a journalist, I'd always... Um, I supposed at the back of my mind I hoped that it was a career that would facilitate that sort of travel and working overseas and as a foreign correspondent yeah that would always have been one of the objectives of uh, following the journalism trade.
0: Yeah beautiful. So it was um certainly something that unfolded for you. I mean you're working for News Limited as a cadet journalist in 1998 and mm. then you were you were sent to London for work. You you had a posting. Yes. Yeah?
1: Yeah, so yeah, back in the day um, I was working with News Limited and back then obviously News Limited Australia being a part of the news corporation um, globally and they had exchange programs for young journalists to go and work in titles, other titles in other parts of the world and I was selected for that program and was sent over to work in London where I worked at uh the times newspaper and um a brief stint on news of the world which was a uh, which was fascinating interesting. yeah <laughs> very interesting yeah yeah that was um, so,
0: yeah that was 1998 i mean what was hmm. sort of happening what were you reporting on then or what sort of events and stories were you covering take us back
1: I had worked at the Daily Telegraph newspaper in Sydney as a gossip columnist mm-hmm. and I was producing a page which was called Page 13, which was a precursor okay. to an existing page which is now, I think, called Sydney Confidential and I think there are variations right. to that around the, the News Corp family of newspapers these days in um, all around the country. So I was mm-hmm. writing a gossip column and, I, and by virtue of it being an extremely high-profile column um, and extremely well-read column, Uh, that was the reason that I guess I came to the attention of the people who made decisions about who we're going to send to overseas and who do we want to train up. And um, I was sent to work at the Times and I was working on the diary, which is a similar kind of a – a yeah. similar kind of a, a, a thing at the Times, which is a kind of a, a kind of a gossip column for the Times. And then also just working just general news, such as yeah. it is at the news of the world.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you had <laughs> you had two years in London. Um, you were on a working holiday visa and as it was expiring, I guess you decided you were not really quite ready for life back in Australia.
1: Yeah, no, I kind of had two bites of the London cherry. So I went across on the News Corp exchange and then I came came home and worked for maybe a year or two. But at that point I'd been bitten by the bug and it was back in the day. I don't know if it's still the case, but the working holiday visa to work in the UK, you had to be there by the age of 28. So I needed to sort of sort of act on that and go overseas pretty quick smart after Mm. having come back. And so I elected to go back on a working holiday visa and that's when I joined Sky News. I went back to London the second time started working at Sky News and um, working as a TV producer over there.
0: Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. Um, And so you obviously had a great two years. You enjoyed London.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, it was a challenging time for me. Um, I mean, professionally and personally, uh, it mm-hmm. was. I had come from you know being a pretty big fish in in a relatively small pond in Sydney, and then going to London. And, and nobody knew me from Adam and I didn't have any currency yet and my contact book was starting from scratch and as a journalist, you're all, you know, contact book yeah. is everything. So that, was, so that was challenging from a professional point of view. Uh, personally, um, a, a long-term relationship that I had been in up until that point uh, had, was coming to, a, to an end and so it was a difficult time. And then London, you know, London when you don't have a lot of money... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's
0: cruel. <laughs> and
1: you don't have a lot of money and professionally you're going, what the hell am I doing with my life? And personal, yeah. your personal life is in in tatters at your feet it's uh it wasn't it was I I had a wonderful time in London I really did but it was (laughs) tinged with some yeah Yeah. it was some moments that weren't awesome
0: yeah so you needed a new chapter
1: (laughs) so to speak yeah Mm -hmm. I did yeah I did yeah and that very much fed into how and why I ended up in Paris
0: so how did that emerge as an opportunity and how Mm. how did it happen And, and I guess why Paris
1: well, I'd studied French at school and university, and I'd always had um, an affinity for the culture and the language. Um, and I had visited France and I visited Paris. Um, I think on my first tour of duty to London, I'd been across and spent some time in Paris. And you know, sometimes you visit cities and you just have an instinctive feel that it's a yeah. place that you could see yourself living. Um, yeah. I felt that very much. I felt that maybe in three or four cities around the world, and Paris was, was one of them. Um, and um, so, and because I'd studied the language and had an interest in the language and the culture, it was always on my radar. Um, But how I came to be there was um, I was working for Sky News. I was um, coming towards the end of my two-year working holiday visa and at that point it was very difficult to get extensions on visas and things like that. Mm. But I wasn't quite ready to come back to Australia at that point. And um, I was working on the entertainment desk at Sky News and next to us was the uh, finance department, the guys who wrote, you know, did all the business reportage. Mm -hmm. And we used to swap magazines. They would always borrow our heat magazines and we would all Always borrow, <laughs> we would Twice. always borrow their Economist magazine. And so I was flicking through the Economist one one morning and there was, in the front of the Economist, there were just a, like pages, about 10 pages of ads, mostly for United Nations bodies or non-governmental organisations, usually for jobs that you think there's not a person in the world that could possibly be qualified for that job. Uh, yeah. Or it, and... Um, uh, I saw one of them, and it was based in Paris. It was the director of communications for the International Chamber of Commerce. Um, Amazing! And I ran through. I had a look through, and it was the list of the list of things that you needed to be qualified for that job, and I had basically none of them. But um, I. I applied. Threw caution
0: to the wind. That's right, through caution
1: to the wind. And the you know, the the bit that caught my eye was like, you must you you will be based in Paris and there will be international travel. You must be prepared to travel internationally. And I was just like tick and tick. Yes. I like out yeah. of both of those things. Um as luck would have it, I applied for the job. And I think the fact that the incumbent in that job, um, and he was looking to replace himself, he was an old journalist himself and had worked mm. as a Reuters correspondent back in the in the seventies and eighties, um, and he had covered all of these amazing stories all over the world, uh, and I think he saw in me. A little bit of himself as a younger man, and I think he he uh, and he interviewed many people for the job. But I was this. He later described it as a breath of fresh breath of fresh Aussie air came into (laughs) (laughs) this fusty old Parisian institution, and he thought that it was just the the shake up that the place needed. And so fantastic. Yeah, I went across on the Eurostar. I remember it vividly. One day for the um, interview, and I remember. Remember taking a sick day from my job at Sky News and, and yeah. booking, a, booking a Eurostar that would get me there early in the morning. I'd do the interview and get a Eurostar in the afternoon to come back so I could show up to work again the next day. And I thought, well, if nothing else, I get a day trip to Paris out of it. Paris, I'm yeah. sure nothing will come of <laughs> it. And it was one of those uh, one of those strange interviews where within five minutes they start talking to you about the, you know, well, this is what the salary would be and this is when we'd need you to start. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is strange. This hasn't gone how I thought it would go. <laughs> they seem to be talking as if I've got the job. And then at the end of it they were like, so when can you start? And I'm like, are you, what, yeah. are you serious? <laughs> I have to say yes. <laughs> well, at that point <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I remember taking that Eurostar train back back to London and I was just like, Okay, so I guess I'm moving to Paris. <laughs> amazing, amazing <laughs> which I was very excited about. But at the same time, I didn't know anybody in Paris. You know, I didn't know a soul yeah. there. Um, and it was, and you know, I was I was going to be taking on quite a quite a big job, and and yeah, huge. And I didn't, for which I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was especially qualified. So. Um, yeah, it was something of a leap of faith to turn around and go back and take the job there.
0: So, clearly, I mean, that was a learning trajectory
1: of note, (laughs) um, career-wise, um, can you,
0: can you share with us a little bit about what that job entailed?
1: Sure. So, um, I was the Director of Communications for the International Chamber of Commerce, um, the ICC is uh, it calls itself the world business organization, and it acts um, as as a kind of liaison, if you like, between places like the United Nations and the private sector. So we would make representations to big intergovernmental meetings, usually United Nations meetings, or IMF meetings, or uh, World Bank meetings. If there were ever if there was ever a delegation from the private sector who was interlocutor, the official interlocutor to those processes, it was the ICC. And so we would go to these big summits, these big international summits, these big international meetings, um, everything from G7 meetings to, you know, um, Earth summits in in, in Rio to talk, talk about sustainable development. We were there to provide the private sector input. So- amazing. Um, yeah, no, it was. It was an incredible experience, and and, they, um, and you know, great use of a lot of my my journalism skills. Um, yeah. And suddenly having to do everything in multiple languages and and to navigate multiple cultures, because you know, as you know, if you've ever worked overseas, you don't just you don't just have to learn a language if you're working in another country, um, but you also have to learn how different cultures work and yeah. learn how to work with different cultures and learn what the best tactics are to get the outcomes you want when you are working with those different cultures.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's that so changes. many nuances. Yeah.
1: So many nuances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a um, you know, and you do there are so many, you know, pitfalls that you <laughs> that you find and mistakes you find yourself making. And and I was really lucky to be surrounded by lots of people who had worked in the international sphere quite a bit who would mm-hmm. take me aside and go, yeah, you kind of offended the Arab the Arab delegation there when you... <laughs> I'm like, oh, right, really? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you would just learn that there were ways if you wanted to get an outcome with even the French, you know, if you wanted an outcome with the French, then it was all about um, giving ground before you should be able to expect to win any ground. Like, and mm. so learning all of those sorts of things that were, um, you mm. know, were invaluable in the execution of that job.
0: Amazing. Long way from Sydney, um, got up, columnist. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Exactly, and the Sutherland Shire where I grew up was a long, long (laughs) way. Yeah,
0: incredible though. I think that's one of the lovely things about being overseas is so often we say yes, not really knowing what it entails, but are so rewarded for the for the. The act of saying yes, and the, I think the bravery of doing it sometimes. Yeah, mm.
1: it is. It's the ultimate mm. in leaning in 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 so many respects because you do. You, it, it's it is a real leap into the unknown, um, and you've got nothing but what you've learnt at home to fall back on, and. You know, and happily, uh, I, I would say that the skills that, that I brought to it and they were, were you know, they were world standard. They just needed a little bit of finessing in order to make them acceptable on the international stage. <laughs> Polishing them up, yeah. Yeah.
0: So Paris also lived up to its reputation, I guess, as the city of love. You met your wife there, mm. um, who's also an Aussie.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So tell us a little bit about what she was doing over there.
1: Uh, so my lovely wife Shay, uh, who I am happy to say is still my lovely Beautiful. wife, um, 13, thirteen years, yes, married now. Um, she, um, she, like many many um, dancers uh, her age, had um, gravitated to Paris to work in the cabarets over there in Paris. Mm-hmm. So she was a dancer initially at the Moulin Rouge, and then um, and and then latterly at the Lido, which is another very famous cabaret yeah. on the Champs Elysees. Yeah. Um, so Shay danced at the Lido and the Moulin Rouge for a total of, uh, 13 years. Wow. Um, went across there as a, as a young 21 year old. Yeah. And worked her way up into, into the position of like principal dancer in both of those companies. Um, and we crossed paths, um, as two Aussie expats in Paris and, um, yeah, yeah. And I think both of us both of us had, you know, both of us had come to Paris I think with the stated intention of of finding, you know, a French partner I- or something something a <laughs> little a little more exotic than an Aussie, and then,
0: as is the way,
1: finally you just well, you just yeah, and both of us, you know, had um, had sampled the local fare, but finally just went, that's all too hard. It's so hard, and this is just easy. You're and lovely. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're really nice, and you get me, and I get you, and I and I don't spend half my time wondering if I've said the wrong thing or if you've misunderstood what I've said. Yeah,
0: clearly, um, together you both found and created a strong sense of home in Paris. I mean, you you had, what, eight mm. years together there or
1: so um, once yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent 10 years in total in Paris. Shay was there for 12 or 13 years and um, we were together for probably about eight years, yeah. Mm.
0: And so you had your two children there?
1: Yeah, both of our children were born in yeah. um, in Paris. Yeah. Um, our son, Flynn, um, and our daughter, Rosie, uh, and... We could very easily have stayed in yeah. Paris. Um, it was, I mean, we're obviously back in Australia now, but 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 when time came to make that decision, it was a real crossroads moment for yeah. us because we had built built lives in Paris, lives that we loved. We had friendship circles and and we had professional possibilities mm-hmm. that we could have we could have exercised mm-hmm. there. Um, and we were, to all intents and Purposes as French as it's possible to be as an expat mm-hmm. in Paris, mm-hmm. um, but um, finally decided to make the decision to come home.
0: So I, I guess that's an interesting one too, because it is it is home where you are, um, and to then think, okay, I think we want to go back to our other home. <laughs> what what was the what was the motivation mm-hmm. for that? And and I guess how long was it between
1: thinking about it? And executing the move. Oh, I think you probably. Um, I think you go through honeymoon phase wherever you're living, and then um, and then very quickly you get beyond yeah. that, and you and you sort of bogged down in the drudgery of paying taxes and dealing with the bureaucracy and. And the you know the pain of trying to get a plumber to come and fix your pipes or to reconnect your phone or whatever it may be and that the drudgery that everybody deals with yeah. wherever they live and it's the stuff if you're just visiting for a short period of time you can skate over and it doesn't really matter and you don't get involved with but when that but you know, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know the French. The, the, well, the word bureaucracy is a French word for a very good reason. They like literally in, invented it, and it, um, yeah, it uh, it does kind of it do, kind of grinds you down after a while. Um, mm-hmm. Professionally, we were both at a, something of a crossroads. I was at that point. Um, I could have continued in the in the communications space and continued doing some corporate communications, and I and I'd um, at that point set up my own um, media consultancy, and had quite a lot of clients, and it was it was going quite well. Um, Shay once we'd um, once she felt pregnant for the second mm-hmm. time, uh, decided that probably her dance career was coming to a natural end. Um, because you have to remember, the dancing as a Moulin Rouge or, or a Lido dancer, Incredible. you dance um, six nights mm. a week uh, and you do eight eight shows a week. Mm. So she was at something of a professional crossroads, as was I. And I think once we'd had the children, we 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 had to make Other a kids. decision about mm. whether we wanted to have mm. French kids or whether we wanted to have Aussie kids. Uh, and that and 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 I think also we wanted. We had to make a decision about how well they would know their extended family growing up, their grandparents, their cousins, etc. So, um, so it was a combination of the two things. It was, it was, where are we going to reinvent professionally and and and. do we want our children, how much do we want our children to, to know their their broader family?
0: Mm-hmm. So, you returned to Sydney first. Um, mm. You'd successfully secured a role. Um, I think that was the executive editor with the Australian Women's Weekly. Yes. Was securing a role prior to arriving home a key requirement for you? Um, was that about the, did that shape the timing or...?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That would have expedited things. I mean, an opportunity presented itself. Um, a friend of mine uh, with whom I had worked as a journalist for, for many years when we were both baby journos, mm-hmm. she had been elevated to the role of um, e- uh, editor-in-chief of the Australian Women's Weekly, yeah. um, Helen McCabe, still yeah. a very good friend of mine, Yeah. She um, and she knew because we'd, we'd kept in touch um she knew that I was thinking about coming home and Mm. she was I guess building a team and she asked me if I would think about joining that team and the timing and seemed right the opportunity was too good to refuse and so uh yeah we came back yeah yeah
0: and so what are your memories of those first few months I mean you get off the plane back in Sydney it's a very different life to Paris um (laughs)
1: yeah yeah I mean just just enormous culture shock yeah just just earth shattering <laughs> culture shock I think you walk around in a daze for for I would say the first few months mm-hmm. um I mean, from a physical point of view, you're just blinded by the light because mm. I think that was the thing. We came back, it was summer and um and we'd left a European winter behind. And you know, at that point I'd endured oh, 12 European winters and Shay had done 13 and um I think <laughs> your eyes adapt. Yeah. I know our skin adapted. Yeah, like yeah, our skin was much, much healthier <laughs> over there than it has been back here. But um yeah, I just remember just just being blinded by this light that was just shouting at us the whole time. And then from a cultural point of view, we were just, I think probably a bit catatonic. You're in a bit of a state of shock. Everything Mm -hmm. is so different. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we came back too with two very small children. And so that was, Mm -hmm. you know, a challenge in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, They were young, weren't they? Uh, Really young. Yeah, Flynn was not quite two and Rose would have been maybe two months old. So, you know. we've had that going on as well. And I think you do spend a lot of time in those first six months wondering whether you've done the right thing. Oh, yeah. And you spend a lot of time you can't help but compare mm. things constantly. Mm. Um, and and suddenly all of the things that were annoying to you when you were living in Paris just sort of kind fade of away. fade away. Mm. And all you remember is the cheese and the wine and the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. the night spent in smoky bars talking about philosophy. And certainly there were lots of those, but you just tended to, the, the, the rose-coloured glasses came on pretty quickly. And yeah. um, you started to be very nostalgic for what was.
0: And I guess, I mean, it's life changes here, it moves on in our absence, but you also change, you know, fundamentally, you're a very different person to the 12 years earlier when you set out for London. Um, how, how How do you reconcile all of that?
1: well it's difficult isn't it because you you personally you have evolved mm-hmm. you've changed it's impossible not to have changed and you change in a really fundamental way but professionally too you've evolved you know in my case it had been 12 years that I'd been away and i you know I it wasn't like I'd been sitting on my hands for 12 years I'd been working my mm-hmm. career had been developing and mm-hmm. I'd been gaining skills and experience um but to large to a large extent you know. Um, um, you to a large extent, your your CV had sort of just hit pause. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as far as employers yeah, yeah. here were concerned. Yeah. Um, they and particularly because the job I had been doing before I left was relatively high high profile. I
0: was about to say.
1: Yeah, and so people were like, "Oh, Bryce Corbett's back, and he's that gossip columnist." And and whenever you would speak to people about work, or you would speak to people about jobs, or you would speak to things that they would immediately cast you in in that in that light and mm-hmm. they would go, you know, we don't have any jobs for gossip columnists or or, or they would say, oh, we would love for you, would you be interested in this job? And it would be exactly what you'd been doing 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, no, actually I've done a lot of stuff since then mm-hmm. um, and this is all the stuff that I've done. But the difficulty that they ha- that they would have had would, would, they would look at my CV and they would look at my, the, the, the stuff that I'd done and it would make no sense to them because they didn't have any... Yeah. You know, that they, they didn't mean anything to anybody back here, mm. um, and and so of course it made it made perfect sense for them to just go back to what they knew about me. Um, and I suspect that's probably an experience lots of expats have of returning.
0: Oh, absolutely! I think that um, need to almost re-educate your network about what you've been doing mm-hmm. whilst you've been gone, and and I, you're, yeah. you're, you're repositioning yourself um, because otherwise, it is only natural that they will refer
1: to what they once knew, yeah. not not what doing today and they 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 only have a frame of reference that they have yeah. I mean, it's perfectly it makes perfect sense of course and their frame of reference from in my in my case was journalism gossip columnist and that was where it ended you know because they hadn't been privy to all the things i had done overseas and they and even if they could see it on a piece of paper it didn't mean anything to them no. what did they what sense could they make of the international chamber of commerce mm-hmm. and and and, and all of the stuff that i had mm. been doing there.
0: Mm. And I think, yeah, for many people, I mean, and you've no doubt experienced this, you've been back now 10 years, yeah. you do, I guess, have to reshape your career in many ways. And you take what you've learned overseas and launch into different ventures or different opportunities here. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what you've done to do that?
1: um yeah and i just to that point i was just thinking i think one of the things certainly that paris taught me is that the freedom of going to a city where nobody knows you is that you can reinvent yourself and you can you can you can do things that you would hesitate to do in a city where people know you and you know are watching you Mm -hmm. you know um so so there was a having that freedom was 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 remarkable and i did stuff in Paris and not necessarily just professionally, but you know, I did other things in my life that that I wouldn't have dreamt of doing. Like I joined a I I formed a a band in Paris. (laughs) And you know Yeah. And 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 we would do gigs all over the city and you know, Incredible. Is that something I would ever have done in Sydney? Probably not.
0: No, you're right. It is a sense of freedom. I think for many, um, you know, I think certainly when I was away, I used to think, oh, well, look, what's the worst that could happen? If it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll yeah. go home or, you know, whatever it might be. Absolutely. So you do take that extra step, I think.
1: You learn pretty quickly to just throw yourself into situations and go, well, it'll either work out or it won't, but either, either way, like, I yeah. had to go. <laughs>
0: Um, so since you've been back, you've really ventured into a couple of new areas and and I think taken on some of the experiences or leveraged some of the experiences from abroad. You've authored a few books, you've started a podcast, you've got your own business going. Can you share some of the insights or some of the background to those things?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I came back and worked, um, as I said, with the Australian Women's Weekly for six years, uh, Mm -hmm. which was a great, great place um for me to i guess uh re-enter the mm-hmm. the the kind of employment consciousness if you like in this yeah. country i yeah. mean and it was a yeah and, and re, i guess to reconnect and um it was a great i mean it was a great job and we had a, a wonderful time editing the women's weekly and um and then from there i moved to the financial review uh where i worked for two years as a columnist uh, on the finn mm-hmm. And, uh, and then from the fin I moved to 60 Minutes and I uh, worked for two wonderful years as a producer at 60 Minutes and, mm-hmm. um, and got, uh, got a bit more TV experience. And coming back from Paris and part of the reason I'd chosen to come back from Paris was because I w- I'd, I'd felt instinctively like I hadn't done I hadn't quite finished my uh, adventures with journalism mm-hmm. and I knew that working as a journalist in Paris um, was always going to be limited by the fact that I didn't speak French as a native person or indeed write it or read it. So I was never going to probably work as a journalist in the same capacity mm-hmm. that I could in Australia. So, um, yeah, so I worked in those um those three capacities: the weekly, the financial review, and 60 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I guess, interestingly, you know, each one of those, and, and if you look, and people do look at it and just go, How do you go from the women's weekly to the financial review? And it's like, Well, <laughs> Well, I spent 10 years in Paris working, you know, at going yeah. to international monetary fund meetings and, you know, like this, it's like, so, and then they're like, well, how did you go from like the financial review to 60 minutes? And I'm like, well, I spent two years in London working for Sky News. And so the, the, it was the accumulation of, I guess, these experiences that I'd had overseas that allowed me to just... um to Branch, do yeah. the variety of things that I managed to do here, and mm-hmm. then um, after sixty minutes, I um, I took the up the opportunity to um, to go back into corporate comms, which is where I'm working now, working mm-hmm. for a strategic communications agency called Domestique, Um, and, um, yeah, and it's kind of come full circle in that respect, you know, back to where I'd started off in Paris all those years ago.
0: Incredible. Incredible. And you've also, um, launched a podcast this year.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. The Squiz, which is a, which is, I like to call it a nascent media company. It's one of these, um, it's a, it's a startup, essentially, who have created over the past three years a very compelling um, proposition via a daily news digest email, which has also morphed into a daily news mm-hmm. podcast. And in the middle mm-hmm. of last year, we got talking about creating a daily news podcast specifically for kids. Uh, and we launched that mm-hmm. at the beginning of this year, Squiz Kids, um, and I um, and I put my hand up to to host it. Uh, and so now I'm putting out a, a podcast every day on top of everything else that I do.
0: Current affairs is that, is that right?
1: Yeah. So the idea, yeah, the idea is. The idea is that, you know, you and I growing up, we had newspapers lying around the house. The the nightly news Mm -hmm. was something that was watched religiously. Um, And I watched my own children become more and more divorced from what was going on in the world because they don't watch television, they don't read newspapers. Um, um, And so the idea was to increase media literacy amongst kids because I think I honestly believe there's never been a better time or more important time rather you know, in an era of fake news and with the amount of social media that kids consume, um, their ability to discern truth from fiction has never been more important, as well as propping up a profession that I mm-hmm. love, which is journalism, and, and underscoring the importance of that profession to a younger generation. This is also about teaching kids to be critical consumers of media and learning that there is there is always a motivation behind uh, information that you're being fed yeah proven very, very popular, which has been great. Great, great.
0: Um so for those of us who I guess who've had an extended period overseas, the concept of home
1: is really an interesting
0: one. I mean, you've been back in Australia now for almost as long as you were overseas. Mm, yes. Do you consider Australia or France home? Or is it a mix of uh,
1: look, Australia is home, um and is it will always be more of a home than 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 France is. Um we we all sought and were granted citizenship, or well, the kids got citizenship because they were born in France. Um, my my wife Shay um, applied for and was granted citizenship. Um, so we're all you know we're all French, you know, in terms of dual citizenship. Um, uh, and we fundamentally like there is you don't live for as long as you do in a city like Paris and not be mm. altered by it. Um, and for it to alter your outlook or alter your, your 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 daily habits be it the you know be it the way you eat and um, what you eat or how you think or um, so we are look because we're, 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 that's where we're from and I think mm-hmm. it's telling that we both chose. To partner up with another Aussie, I think mm. um, had we have you know uh, partnered up, married French people, that clearly our lives would be very different. But I think it's quite telling that 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 we that we found one another, two Australians in Paris, and we were and we decided that yeah, actually this is this makes sense and this is what works mm. and this is the life I I want to build. Um, yeah, fabulous. It'll always be a part of us, though.
0: Yeah. Could you be lured back?
1: Yeah, absolutely, in a minute. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, no and, I, and I don't say that because I dislike Australia. I think. No, um, no. Yeah. And I, that's simply because that's just the the wanderlust, you know. Um, I think I'm always, I don't ever feel like anything is forever. I'm always, yeah. I've always been of the opinion, well, this is this is our reality now and this is where we are now and we'll make the bet the most of it and enjoy it. But I don't for a second I mean I've always I've always imagined that our children will reach a certain age and I'd love to go back and um and put them into school there for a year and live for a yeah. year and for them yeah. to be to have the challenge of having to learn another language and um, learn another culture. Um, and I saw with many expats who'd came over to Paris with children, some of them teenage children, during the time that I was there, and you could just see these kids and their their, their worlds just open up. You could just, mm. yeah, and you could just see suddenly them understanding that there was a big wide world out there with um, with people who spoke different languages and came from different cultures and had different ideas about things. And I'd love that experience for my own kids. Yeah, yeah,
0: fabulous. Now, um, Bryce, we finish all of our um, podcasts with five rapid-fire questions, so I would love to ask you those as well. Um, I'm so bad at
1: those, but go on.
0: (laughs) It's really just a word or phrase (laughs) that comes to mind. Okay. (laughs) So living overseas taught me what about myself?
1: Uh, Living overseas to be adaptable.
0: Yeah, great. Uh, The number one skill I use today from my life overseas is?
1: Speaking French. Yep.
0: When I want to feel like I'm back in my adopted country, a dish I eat is
1: oh, um, well, it's it's less of a dish than than a product. It's Comté cheese, and I will oh. and I will crawl over I will crawl over broken glass to find it and eat it in massive oh.
0: quantities. Excellent. Um, the best part about being home is family. Yeah. A word, song or quote that best describes my time overseas?
1: Um, there's a wonderful quote um, by a French, I believe, writer, maybe a songwriter um, called Sasha Guitry and um, the translation of which is, to be a Parisian is not to have been born in Paris but to have been reborn there.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. Mm, yeah, I have that. I still have it under my fridge. Yeah, that's my and when I wake up here in suburban Brisbane and look out. <laughs> I <laughs> occasionally look at that and go, Yeah, I did that. I did do that. Yeah. That did happen, didn't it? Yeah, I'm sure that yeah.
0: <laughs> It wasn't just a dream. <laughs> 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 oh Bryce, you've been really generous with your time today. And um, I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.